Welcome to the Tanya Acker Show. Beth Ann Hardison and Frederick Chang co-directed the film Invisible Beauty, which is an outstanding documentary. It is just outstanding. I've seen it three times. Yes, I have. It tells the story of Beth Ann's incredible life. As a model in the 1970s, she ushered in a very different type of look. And as the owner of a racially diverse modeling agency, she transformed the fashion industry. Here I am with Beth Ann Hardison and Frederick Chang, you must see this extraordinary film, Invisible Beauty. And don't forget to subscribe to my podcast. Beth Ann Hardison, Frederick Chang from Invisible Beauty. As I said in my intro, I've seen the film now going on three times. It might be a little more than that because sometimes I have it on background. I am fangirling right now. So thank you very much, both of you, for being here. You really, um, this is incredibly special for me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm not going to give away spoilers. Um, I'm going to say this. People must see this documentary. Uh, the, the profound impact, Beth Ann, you've had not just on the fashion industry, but on history, on American culture, uh, is something that we really all should celebrate. One of the things that really touched me about the film, and again, I'm not giving anything away because you say this right out of the box, is that it's possible to change things. What did you mean by that? Tanya, thank you so much. I think I was just meant to be that person that came into the environment of fashion and the model industry and to really be that one that could say what I said or do what I did. I think I'm just that chosen one. I don't think it's really something that I came away from thinking, oh my goodness, I need to fix these things. But when I saw things happening, I could actually address it. I just had, and people trusted me. The, the, the designers that I spoke to, they appreciated me. And so I think it's the way I approached it, made it a little bit more, because I wasn't spanking them at that time. That was in the 80s and the 90s. <laughs> things change later. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the spanking in a bit, but what I think is interesting to think about is what the industry looked like when you came in it in the 70s. There's a story you tell that I found so profound because one of the things that, you know, you really give off this air of fearlessness and you tell this story about being a model and you were modeling in front of a bunch of Southern white buyers and you were getting some validation, you know, from the designer, but Talk to us about what that felt like in the 70s. I mean, were you afraid? Was it, what, what's going on in your body when you are taking the runway and, you know, confronting people who, as you describe it, didn't even really want to look at you? You know, it's interesting enough. I, I, once again, it's very important to say that I never thought it was because of my color. I thought it was because I just, I knew I was a different looking type of model that was coming on the scene. I was the one that was, I was a new wave and I was the first of that new wave. And I just thought it was because I just wasn't looking like the other girls. I just, I didn't think I wasn't pretty. I just thought I was a little startling for them. <laughs> they were like, what the heck is this? Because here, you know, you have all these girls with hair and it moved and, and they were brownish and, you know, not a lot, but they had at least like Mozella Roberts. And there were different girls who really were great, an Asian girl, a few brown girls, but they were more sophisticated looking. And I was much more of a, like, like an edgy 
And so what it did for me was it made me very nervous because it was my first show with a very renowned designer. You know, this is like the best designers across the street. So it made me very nervous and I felt very much like I was being defeated. And I was being defeated by the audience that was no longer, you know, appreciating who I was. And that was a, that was the first exit. The second exit got worse. The second dress. They got, they start to talk like I wasn't even there. And then the third one was just like they were having popcorn. They might as well. It was just, and he said, this is not in a runway. You understand? This is in a small atelier. This is in the showroom mm. up there. So it's different than what it is now. So it's much more intimate. Yeah, it was, it was that. And I think more, I think much more was just, I was that type of girl that came along that was breaking barrier, but it, it, I was breaking it with him and they would never, they hadn't seen it before. Just to put things in context, you know, like Bethann, she says in the film, like she had a very short afro, just for, for the audience to visualize what Bethann looked like at the time. And, you know, she was very boyish looking with a very particular walk, you know, that was fierce and fearless, like you're saying. And I think... I wasn't so fierce then, because I was just... Maybe on the first day. have to be fierce. <laughs> That made me become fierce. But go ahead. And what I love is how Bethann describes how she got through that moment is thinking about the samurai. She had grown up going to the cinema and watching all these foreign films, the samurai films, and she fell in love with Mifune, the great Japanese actor who was portraying these incredible samurais. And so she channeled that, she, she told me in an interview, she channeled that spirit of like mastering your opponent and knowing, knowing who you are. And, um, and so it was so wonderful to hear, you know, Bethann talk about the samurai. And then we interviewed Donald, who was uh, um, Bethann's friend at the time with whom she was going to see uh, those movies. And he ended up being Kadim's dad as well. And, uh, and so all the pieces came together. For me, it was just like, it was great to see how Bethan managed to pull her influences and like go through this moment. I loved that uh, line, the yes, strength of the samurai. That. Thank you, Frederick. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Frederick, this is for you. You know, you have told so many great stories about great icons in fashion, Halston, uh, Christian Dior. Talk to us about making this film because, you know, one of the things that strikes me is that, you know, sometimes when you're telling the story of a person of color, especially, you know, a black person at a certain time in history, it can be very reductive. Talk to us about telling this story because I personally, maybe that's why I've seen it so many times, I thought it was just really beautiful and uh, wonderful how you gave it the story its full weight. Talk to us about how you did that. Thank you. Um, I So right before we came on, like I told you, like this was, I think, by far the most challenging film that I've made, you know, in terms of how to approach it and and, and dealing with someone who's very alive and, and next to me and how do you tell their story. And so I think I, I took a risk for, right from the beginning by um, choosing to do something a little different, differently than I had done before. And that thing was uh, asking Bethann to co-direct the film with me. I think I, I knew that it was like a big responsibility to, to tell Bethann's story. And I didn't want it to be, like you said, like some like my idea of what it's like to be Bethann. I wanted 
it to be Bethan's idea of what it's like to be herself. And I knew that by asking her, I would get to those complexities that you're talking about, you know, and so that the, the, the film would become richer by us conversing and Bethan teaching me what it's like. So it's like I see it as a little bit as a, a conversation, you know, collaboration, a mentoring of Bethan, you know, um, um, telling me, enlightening me about what, what her journey was like. And so, you know, it was, it was nerve wracking because that's not something that's usually done in documentary. You, you know, documentarians like to keep the boundary very strict between themselves and the, and the subject. But I think I took a gamble and I think Bethan stepped up and, and took the responsibility also of honoring that choice and, and, uh, and stepping out of her own way and kind of like seeing her story, not just as her story, but as a, as a filmmaker telling a story. And so I love that process. You know, it was very rewarding. One part of the story, Bethann, is the spanking, as you describe it, that you gave the industry. And, you know, again, people need to see this film, but here's just not so much a spoiler, but just a nugget, a historical nugget. I mean, there was a moment in time where runways were full of... uh, Eastern European women who all look the same, <laughs> like not even like they look like different Eastern European women. They looked like there was one type of woman who seemed to be uh, ruling the runways. And you really took fashion houses to task. But what's interesting, and I, I say this as a lawyer, I, I'm a litigator by trade. You know, I, I work on a court show now, but I'm used to the idea you know, often we're used to the idea of confrontation being really hard and aggressive and, you know, it's sort of a zero-sum game. Something that really touched me about how you engaged in confrontation was you almost did it with the sense of, look, you know, we're all in the same family. We just got to figure out some of our family business. Talk to us about how you did that and, and what that means. Well, you set that up very well. I think it's uh, interesting because because I do believe that it's my industry, and I think that since I feel and watched and noticed that I was someone who had been in the garment district and the, the, the design area longer than most of the people who are now making those decisions. You know, in the beginning, you think, well, okay, this is a few seasons, and it's just their, it's their choice if they want to make it look like that because it's their, their aesthetic. But then it starts going on for a year, two years, three years, four years. It's going on. And you only see one girl of color if you see one. And then they do it in such a way that, you know, it's disrespectful to anyone, including themselves. And so I approached it because it's my nature to approach it educating them, saying that if you continue to use one or two models of color or none consistently, when you're using 35 or 40 models, uh, then whether you your intention or not, the result is racism. And that it was just two paragraphs of writing that to the fashion councils of each city, London, New York, uh, Paris, and, and, and Milan. And of course, I put all of the houses that were guilty because we had done the data. We had been for seasons, seasons, just checking and watching and looking and seeing and seeing which which one, which house only used this amount of models. So, this, so we had we knew what we were talking about. But it's the way you approach it, you know. And I really did believe that 
I believed, I had to go into it, and I do and did believe that they weren't racist. I believed that they were just falling into a, you know, like a rabbit hole, as I often say, and that it was coming more out of ignorance. And that, to me, is worse than racism. And I just wouldn't let them, I, just want, I didn't want my industry to wind up looking like that. And there was an immediate response. So, of course, for me, it was done in such a, it may, it may, it was, it may have been in a lightning uh, rod way, dang, but it still was done from a feeling of appreciation and, guys, you got to get out of the way because that car's going to hit you mentality. The, some of the ignorance that you talk about was pretty startling. I mean, things that people would say about uh, black models, they might cheapen the clothing. You know, Frederick and I were having a conversation before you came on just about things that they used to say about lighting, uh, you know, uh, darker skinned women, like we're so hard to light. It's not really that hard. We wouldn't hear things like that. It's someone like James Scully, who was in the film, because he was actually a model editor at a magazine. So he could hear all of that. And him being white, too, it was much easier for him to hear those kind of things. The model agent, like myself, a model agent, something, we wouldn't necessarily hear those particular things, like with their struggle, because this is their struggle. Just you earlier talking about lighting. They weren't wrong because they hadn't begun to learn to do it. They, they weren't wrong that they couldn't do a black girl's hair as nice because they hadn't begun to get people who were expert to be able to practice to do that. So that's why extensions became a play. That became, the, the extensions were the thing that someone like a Naomi Campbell started because it was to help protect their own hair and give them the opportunity to make it easier for the person who was to do the hair. Because otherwise they couldn't get the job or they couldn't keep the job or they couldn't stay on the set as long as their white counterpart. So there were a lot of reasons why it takes the industry uh, well to learn to get other people who are technicians to learn to do these things as well as the other so that their white counterparts. Are, and then it could be a white guy who can learn to do the hair as well or bring in a black person who could do the hair as well or the makeup. So it, it, it took a little bit more efforts of doing things for everybody to get on board and be better at it. Frederick, one of the other really striking things about this film is the energy and enthusiasm that one senses from seeing these iconic women. I mean, Naomi Campbell, Iman, the way they talk about Bethann, uh, you know, it's like they're talking about this uh, goddess from another planet who showed up and, and changed their worlds and changed <laughs> uh, fashion. But you know, as you were making this film and getting participation from all of these incredible people, talk to us about that energy, because it seemed like people were very eager and excited to not just celebrate Beth Ann, but also to talk about this history that she helped to change. Yeah, I think it was the energy, as you said, like it was really palpable. Like we, we felt it. like whenever we asked someone, we never got a no. Everyone was, and everyone opened their homes, like Zendaya, you know, she she opened her home her home in Los Angeles to receive us, and she was so simple about it because it really meant something to her. The fact that Bethan had mentored her and like helped her when she went into the realm of fashion, and you know, did a fashion show that was paying homage to the woman at Versailles, um, and so. You know, I think that's when I really discovered the film. You know, knowing Bethan is one thing; that's what got me to want to make the film. But then hearing the actual impact that Bethan had had on everyone, that changed that changed my perception completely. And and um, almost to the point that I got a little shy of Bethan. I was like, oh, I'm dealing with someone <laughs> who's like, not just an incredible human being, but like a major historical figure that really has shifted the culture 
and it impacted personally like all these people there was you know suddenly i felt like the responsibility and the weight of history you know like i which which carried me through the editing just to transmit that to the audience you know that sense of community that Bethan has, has created. Was it intimidating to co-direct with her? Yes. <laughs> it was. In the best in the best possible way. You know, like I wanted to impress Bethan and, and you know, first and foremost. And uh I worked so hard to like um Bethan didn't take part of the interviews. That was her choice as a director to give me the freedom and give people the freedom to talk freely. Um but when it came time to um editing you know i was i was always t- telling bethan what i was thinking but she didn't see something until i was ready to show something that was significant and it was it was you know first we had 7 hours um and that was <laughs> that was a lot and i i was like bethan i don't think you're ready for the 7 hours i want to work on it a little more and uh and i got it down to 4 hours and that was nerve-wracking i was very nervous to show bethan and um her response and bethan can tell you her response but um took a huge weight off of my shoulder because um i feel like she recognized something yeah i yeah me for me it became like where for so long i didn't think i had a story i didn't even think i had enough archives to give anyone because i wasn't a print model i wasn't you know print models have so much stuff and so many people just keep a lot of stuff and i was always you know the lighter the load the freer the journey just get rid of things keep moving you don't need all that junk why do you need all this paperwork it happened years ago i learned that you should keep everything now because you want to put your paper someplace but in his particular case, you know, it was really quite wonderful when he showed me the four hours because I made the film saying, well, all right, let's see if I got a story. Mm. You know what I mean? And and in seeing it, I he made me believe. I, I literally wrote him and said, now you've made me a believer because I could see it. This film was wonderful. And it was so long. So then we started thinking we should just keep everything and make it a series. <laughs> but it was really something that was meant to be a feature. And we had already commitments from investors and people and, you know, it had to be a feature. And so, you know, we were told, no, 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 stay in your lane, stay focused. But I promise you, it was really wonderful to witness that in that way and listening to you even speak and hear him speak right now. It makes me think, wow, really? I, you, know, you know, historian, you know, affected culture and all that. It's very funny when you're doing it, you're just doing it, and then you hear it. Now I'm, 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 I'm beginning to learn to grow some ego. Mm. <laughs> it's finally like I've, you know, been able to. Okay, this is who I am. I know. Look, look, look. You see that film? You see what? <laughs> you see those people? Yeah. You know. Now you begin to, you know, can embrace it a little bit. I, I think one of the things that for me, um, one of the things. I mean, there were a lot of really powerful things about the movie, but it really underscored sort of this relationship between beauty and culture and what these different definitions of beauty mean for a culture and for a society. Um, And I want to talk to you both about that. But first, tell me about the title, Invisible Beauty. How was that born? I came up with that because I think, and I do say this often now, I think the influence for me was from the Invisible uh, Man, uh, Ralph Ellison, I think, Back in the day, you know, you had to read a lot. You had to be part of art. You just had to be cool. And I think that it, it stuck with me in that way um, because I was trying to do another film before Frederick and I 
came together to do this film on Beth Ann. I was trying to do another film about the industry to expose the industry about the, how the industry was going down this quote unquote rabbit hole, and the 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 girl of color was gotten had gotten lost. She was no longer on the runways like she was. She was no longer, you know, in print. She wasn't there. She wasn't being recognized. And I think that's that was the title I came up for this project. So the, the title stayed with me. Uh, and even when I began to to work with Frederick, and I told him, you know, they wanted to name it maybe Beth Ann or something. And I just knew that I, it always would have to be Invisible Beauty. It, it it's um, it's a strong title. And it, it says a lot without saying anything. The beauty industry to me has always been something that is has joined onto the fashion industry. The beauty industry is something completely different. When I think of the beauty industry, I think of products. When I think of beauty of people, I just think everyone's beautiful. And so for me, I don't seem to think to myself, oh, this model or that. You know, yes, there's some models I would choose over others because I have an eye for a certain type. And I know what I think I can sell to the market. And now it's the market has opened up so greatly because of the West African girl, because now they have finally recognized that, yes, you know, blacks can wear clothes in the wintertime. Yes, we don't have to have seasons for the model. Yes, the model of color can do this and that. So now they've gone, they've gone in another direction. Now they're all into this one particular look, as well as other girls as well of color. But it shows you how they can embrace something and it becomes trendy, and you just hope that the good trends stay and not go away. In this particular case, you hope that the, the models of color, no matter how deep the shade of black to blue is, remains, and that you know that, that the all Eastern European girl never comes back like they did before. Because at least now they're in the runways and the editorials and catalogs and all advertising is integrated. That should never change. Well, I was going to add, you know, like I think Robin Givon of the Washington Post really speaks so eloquently, you know, in the film at the end of the film about the power and the responsibility that the fashion industry has in terms of shaping who we think is deserving of our empathy. She says our our money, our attention. You know, I think that's that's what we try to show with the film is like how, you know, many people think like fashion is just fashion and it's just, you know, a little bit superficial. But it, but uh, Bethan's work really speaks to the way she was trying to change not just the fashion industry, but actually society at large by changing what we see in, you know, the um, the media we consume. And um, and that, you know, if you'd start changing the image then it starts changing the mind a little bit. And uh, that's why we also included Kadeem's story, because, you know, um, he really had such an incredible impact as an actor with a different world, you know, just um, through the medium of TV, sort of changing how people perceived uh, a, a young black person and how they go to college. And this is a show about college. And he got so many people to just sign up for college and so it was just wonderful to see all these different aspects of Beth Ann's life and her family's life come together and just kind of and, and affect culture. That's why it's really just affecting culture. 
On that note, um, I think that show, I was always going to go to college. That wasn't really an option in my household. But that show is in part why I was especially excited to go to Howard University, uh, because it really did show the world this whole uh, experience of black collegiate life uh, that people hadn't seen. I mean, and frankly, you know, I don't think even a lot of black folks had, I hadn't seen that celebrated uh, in the way that it was. Um, and, and that's a, a good segue to my next point, because you're very open. I mean, this film is not just about your uh, successes and all of the big ways in which you changed the world, but you also kind of take a deep dive and talk about the relationship with uh, your son, Kadeem Hardison. Uh, was it hard for you to be that internal uh, in such a public way? No. <laughs> no, 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 oh dear, no, because of the fact that um, I was talking to Frederick. Frederick was like always talking to me, and he became like my father confessor on many things. So I would just share with him, you know, we were making a film, but I wasn't thinking all the time that I was talking to him for the film. I was just talking, and I would just tell him things. So it wasn't like it was, okay, what should we do? Should we talk about Kadima? No, let, let's talk. About, no, it was never planned. It's just the way it came out. And he liked to always keep, you know, let's just keep filming and let's just keep recording. And between the recording and the, the filming, he had footage. He had the information. Don't leave an editor with information. Seriously. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And the camera rolling. And like, Because there's that scene when the two, uh, you're in the car, and it's not really clear. I guess that's you, Frederick, who she's talking to in the car. But you seem to be having a yes. very personal conversation about Kadeem. And again, I'm not going to give that away. People need to watch this film. You know, so often when we hear people talk about motherhood, you know, lots of times it's sort of celebrated as this straightforward, uncomplicated thing. And you really kind of are very honest about the complications of it, the complications of it, you know, when uh, you are a, a woman, a person with a big life. It was really open. You were being so open. So, Frederick, when you had the camera rolling and she's saying all of these things, uh, were you planning to use it? Or were you you're like, I'm just going to, I'm going to just go wherever this process takes me. I was, you know, always um, curious about what the film will bring. And, and it's all, you never plan anything, just like Bethan didn't really plan to really talk about it. I didn't plan that this was going to be the story, but you have to uh, recognize when something is shared with you that is intimate. And, and, and when I interviewed Kadeem and I saw the way that he was also sharing you know, very um, personal emotions about what it felt like to grow up, grow up with Bethan. I recognize I had something very special. And for me, it was like, it was a turning point in the editing, really. Because Bethan is, uh, she's an incredible, like, performer, and she has this very public life on many levels. And she has been a leader and a front-facing person, you know, for, for a lot of different things. When you get the the other side of the story, which is maybe more personal, more private, you feel really privileged. And, and you know, it didn't happen with the cameras rolling as much as it, it happened with uh, the, the phone calls. So the phone calls are really an important part of how we related. And, uh, you know, Bethann talks about, like, she was just talking to me and I was just talking to her. And But at some point I was like, we got to record these phone calls because there's just too many important 
aspects of your life that you're that you're teaching me about, you know, through these food calls. And so that's that's how we went about it. One of the ways in which you inevitably changed culture was how you changed the fashion business. And this kind of circles back to what we were talking about uh, in terms of how one how we value people, you know, who and what we decide is beautiful, who and what we decide is elegant. Um, what are the sort of looks and the types of uh, folks who we say, you know, that person, you know, that image is is worthy of our emulation or aspiration. So you had a multicultural modeling agency, and to me, one of the spectacular things about it is that you were able to see, you know, what folks wanted to pay a black girl for the day versus what they wanted to pay um, a, a white woman in, in your agency. I was there to educate an industry. I, I'm not there to, you know, you know, it was just an interesting dichotomy to me. You know, oh my goodness, isn't that interesting? I had a brunette girl that would work very well at one thing, and then I have a, 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 a black girl that got paid a different rate. And I just really just wanted the, the industry that, that I was speaking to, the casting director or whoever I was speaking to, to, to learn that, but also about Brides Magazine, just things that just didn't exist before. There were no black, black brides. There were no black um, flower girls or, you know, Made of honors, so it was just important for them to recognize it too, because they don't—they're just doing it. They're not recognizing it. I'm seeing it. I had a racially diverse agency. I had more white kids than I had black kids, Asian kids, and Latin kids. That's very important to be a black owner. That's a conscious black owner. I knew what I was doing because I like white kids. I like good-looking white skinny boys. I like a lot of interesting things that maybe a never black person wouldn't, but I was already known in the industry and it was a perfect thing for me to do. Tell us what you want people to take away from this phenomenal film, Invisible Beauty. I want to say this and then Frederick can finish it up. Um, I want them to walk away knowing, seeing the film, number one, because it's important, and I want them to tell their children. And young, we do a lot of teenage screenings, only teenage screenings, they go. And now I found that the preteen kids are watching it, because now it's on it's on video on demand, so you can go and see it on Amazon Prime and, you know, uh, Apple and others. I want people to walk away knowing that, you know, don't try and decide that you, you want to go out and do what I did, because everyone's not meant for that. But just help other people do similar things. More importantly, this film, for me, I just want you to vote. Just go out and vote. Vote and remember your democracy. Remember that things like I was able to do just in, that, just in my little industry was because I had the freedom to do it. Understand that voting is everything because everyone's not going to be a super superhero. Everyone's not going to be able to go out there and be a revolutionary. But the one thing that you can do that's equal to what I do is vote. Go for it, Frederick. <laughs> well, I would love people to really take away from the film what I've taken away from, from meeting Bethann is that you have to believe in the power of conversation. You have to believe that two people that might be different, that might have different worldviews can come together and have a conversation. That's what we did. You know, um, we're from different backgrounds, different generation, different nationality, and there's a lot to gain from each other there's, by just talking and taking the time to actually having a collaboration. You know, I think that's what the world needs uh, today. Well, I have gained so much by having the two of you here, Frederick Chang and Beth Ann Hardison. Uh, you honor me with your time, and thank you so much. Thank you so much. We thank just you, made it. I'm so happy.
Bonnie, thank you so much. This is a great conversation. And thank you for watching the film so many times. Oh, I love it. I absolutely loved it.